what I had just been speaking in relation to the Irish language was the suppression of an indigenous culture. And it was without doubt also something that was very, very important. How do you do that without asserting the superiority of another culture? And I thought, we do not, thankfully, now, in better relations, East, West, and North, South, I hope, have to choose between Shakespeare and Raftery, or between the great achievements in Chaucer and those who were writing in another language in our own country. I think that gives an immense significance to the arrival among the constitutional documents of the world of the constitution of Nepal three years ago, which is an exemplary document in terms of its, inclu uh, its inclusion. I think it draws on something that is there standing in the background and something that which Ireland shares a profound, deep, diverse cultural inheritance. Because it is one of the achievements of Ireland in relation to its, after the second half of the 19th century, its relationship to the English language is to take it and rework it and to create an entirely new form, which has the more maybe practical achievement of having four Nobel Prizes in writing in English, and five if you put Eugene O'Neill in, who was really quite influenced by the Irish canon. I think as well in relation to constitutions, I was thinking about the Nepalese constitution, which in terms of recent constitutional documents, probably the, another great constitutional document is the constitution of South Africa. And I'm so pleased that there's so many of our diplomats here in attendance this evening. But these documents are in fact inviting us to think of the balances that are necessary in, in constitutional documents. And maybe it's a useful reminder as we're on the eve of celebrating one of our own most important documents because we are the inheritors of three constitutional documents. The Provisional Constitution of the First Door, which we'll celebrate next year, is a very, very important document. It is a document, perhaps, that we didn't go on to fulfill its promise. And then, of course, there is the second constitution, the constitution of the free state, but which still, in a way, has, in relation to the position of women, is better, maybe, than the constitution of 1937. So, in a way, discussing constitutions and their forms and shapes and amendments is something that we can do uh, with great benefit. The Nepalese constitution of 2015, as I've said, is a model in terms of its in terms of its inclusiveness, now both in relation to ethnicity, in relation to language, in relation to diversity, in relation to LGBT rights, and something else which I think is extraordinarily impressive in everything that I've read about Nepal, and that is its emphasis on the immaterial. If at the end of the ceremonies we say people bow to each other and say namaste, it is in fact an acknowledgement of the spirit and the unity which is everyone seeks to try and to create a balance and equanimity in their life and symmetry in relation to what is material. I think um, what is very important here uh, too is what we have shared with Nepal in the wider world. <coughs> Uh, sometimes in relation to our foreign policy, and I'm 
uh, very much realize on the presence of so many members of the diplomatic corps. Uh, comparisons between countries are not best made in relation to capacities for destruction. Uh, that is why it is never a great achievement when Ireland uh, is invited or when countries are invited, African countries, where arms are not produced but where arms are purchased and used with such destructive African people and so forth. So um, the technology that is distorted and the science that is abused in the preparation of war somehow appears as a very dark shadow on human achievement. And that is why when we have, for example, even the Lebanon, the present time, our soldiers are serving as peacemakers because what we have is a defense force, not an aggressive force. And they are side by side with each other, building and achieving peace. And this is something upon which we can do a very, very great deal more in our relationship between our peoples and our governments. And it gives me the greatest pleasure to see former colleagues and members of the Iraq this year. It was in 1982, I recall, writing an article making the case for a political, elected political involvement in foreign policy. There was a different view. I remember Professor Steerkamp of Holland was one of the people who held this view and was quoted by a very dear distinguished colleague of mine, Professor Duke, who argued really we should leave foreign policy to the experts. I strongly have the view that it is when you have people understanding and exchanging views in relation to foreign policy, it becomes all the richer for that. Slowly a foreign policy committee emerged, and now it is just so important that we have in fact parliamentary friendship groups between Ireland and Nepal. And I thank all of those other colleagues who have, in fact, uh, been very committed to, uh, to that view. I think something else as well, that in relation to the opportunities that are there, Nepal, uh, you mentioned, I think, the 49 people who have uh, arrived at the top of Everest. I never anymore really <coughs> like to hear references people speaking conquering mountains, because the word conquer is the wrong word. If you have arrived at the group of the world, your impulse is not to dominate anything, but to experience the incredible majesty of the planet for which we have responsibility. A planet four and a half billion years old, which has been put at immense risk by assumptions in relation to economy and industry that are less than 250 years old. And then the great uh, glaciers and the great the Himalayas and all the others, they're reminders to us that we have to think and behave globally, reminding us as well that it is even perhaps for some to climb up Everest. It might be more difficult yet to enable those governments who have signed agreements in relation to climate change and in relation to sustainability to actually turn their words into actions. It's something we have to do for the sake of it's an intergenerational justice issue. I think as well, Nepal and Ireland, if we have been the 20th year of our, of our diplomatic relations, we join the United Nations on the same day. And that is another important venture. I was very sad to hear today, as I'm sure you were, of the passing of Kofi Annan, who had spent most of his adult life working in the different institutions of the United Nations and made such a commitment to the multilateral system. 
Ireland and Nepal side by side in relation to the importance of the, the multilateral <coughs> system uh, share so much in common. As I've already referred to the fact of our soldiers serving together in the United Nations Interim Force, for example, in UNIFIL in 11. I must say, I want to say to the Nepalese community in Ireland, thank you for coming and enriching our culture and our people. And I must say too, thank you for what you bring with us, you, in relation to that great, great richness of different uh, belief systems and different cultures and different appreciations of the natural environment. It is in a way, I think, the people who have thought more and spoke about the inner life of people. Isn't it an interesting thing in the constitutional discussions which preceded the Nepalese constitution, the amount of time that was given to the discussion of happiness? In fact, actually, a former student of mine worked in an offshoot of the World Bank's consideration of the future of the economy. On, it was there that you had the first arrival in World Bank indicators of the happiness index with its assumptions, in fact, that social cohesion, global cohesion, is such an important value. If this might appear in any sense, it isn't soft at all. It is, in fact, something that is really at the challenging side of diplomacy. It is at the challenging side of international affairs. And it is about turning what the agony of the world asks us to do, which is to be responsible in relation to how we handle issues of, of, of consumption on one side of in relation to and of the other in relation to sustainability. I very much appreciate, Ambassador, the invitation you make to Irish people to visit Nepal. And my wish for you in that is that many, many will go and that they will go with a sense of ethical purpose of engaging with people that have such a vast, vast, vast um, experience of culture and of a relationship uh, to nature. Not using languages of conquering or of consumption, but of coming and uh, relating to the people of Nepal, where over 80% of that 29 million people live in rural settings, divided as they are when one looks at the, the ecological structure of, of Nepal itself. And I hope that the visitors you'll get, that they will come with a whisper and I come to hope that they will deliver you uh, an ecological tourism that will enable to fit very well with the new possibilities that are there from the immense, uh, 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 the immense uh, uses of water, that great resource of which our planet is exhausting its supply in relation to we all will depend on how in fact the MLAs are treated and what happens to the glasses and also that feed and turn the rivers, which create great possibilities in relation to hydroelectric capacity. So if the tourism is in fact actually the new responsible tourism, I hope many Irish technologists and scientists will also seek and see Nepal as a place to practice the proper, very valuable, long-term versions of the applications of science and technology and particularly delivered through green technologies and industries. These great rivers fed by the glaciers of the Himalayas and the Tibetan Plateau are so, so important to all of us, reminding us of the great responsibility we have. In fact, actually, 
It is barely sufficient to maintain the increase in global temperature below a degree, two degrees Celsius. Seems now almost a desperate gesture, something that we have not been able to sufficiently critique until now. So I wish us all well in relation to what we share. We are invited in our relationships with Nepal to a relationship with sustainable beauty, a relationship of balance between life and happiness and development and interdependency and vulnerability. Because in the end, as I often point out, and I don't like some of the words used to describe them, all of those who have in fact gone to the top of Everest, they have been more than helped along the way. And often in a great indication of Nepalese culture and generosity, Nepalese people have stood back so that those who needed the excitement of the notoriety and the achievement might in fact have it. I want to say the dark distance that separates Nepal and Ireland, I think should never separate us in relation to what it is that we might do together. I thank you for your use of my words, and indeed you are deeply by your translation. I thank you, and through you, sent to the Nepalese president, and sent to the people of the Ma the warmest greetings. Let us resolve to continue our work together, not just as we have been doing it, but doing so much more in all of the fields of human endeavor, in culture, and science, and technology, ecological economics, and in diplomacy. Is Mila Buikas Asat and Firkin Forge at Aratu Rohin, is with Mazan Kaya. Tigum Gamoro and Amarto that are to Ebrona, Erma Abertri Ash to Gadinapi. Thank you so much. Namaste. Namaste.